Hi, welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present on history.org. This is Behind the Scenes, where you meet the people who work here. That's my job. I'm Lloyd Dobbins, and mostly I ask questions. During the Enlightenment, scientific observation was the pastime of many gentlemen. For Mark Catesby, it was more than a polite hobby. It was his life's work, and his contribution to the study of native plants and animals influenced many who would follow. Rob Warren, coordinator of Bassett Hall, who interprets Catesby at Colonial Williamsburg, is here to tell us more about the man. One of my curiosities in reading about his life was he was not a colonist. That is, he didn't immigrate here. He came here to visit his sister and brother-in-law and did, did all this fantastic stuff with birds and mammals and reptiles. What was his interest? I mean, other than coming to see his sister, he must have had some. He actually accompanied his sister, Elizabeth, over here to oh, be okay. with her husband, Dr. Cock. And his interest was botany. Uh, he was born at Castle Headingham, which was his grandfather's house, and worked in the gardens with his grandfather. Who had, it's been acclaimed as one of the finest botanical gardens in England. And that was his original interest coming here. He wanted to find the Native American plants that could be cultivated for economic purposes and decorative purposes in England. Once he got here and saw the size of mammals, the size and color of the birds, he began looking at them in an environmental way, putting plants and animals together on the same page in a symbiotic relationship. Uh, I got to wondering, uh, the, the bird man that everyone knows is Audubon. Do we think Audubon may have been influenced by some of uh, Catesby's work? Uh, we know he was. Oh, we know. Because then we don't guess. We he know. Is right. <laughs> he blatantly copied some of Catesby's plates. Oh, and my. Made his, uh, no copyright laws, so it was it's sure, legal. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. In fact, Catesby's often, I think insultingly, called the colonial Audubon, when it really should be the other way around. Okay. <laughs> okay. He should be the 19th century Catesby. Yeah, yeah, because he started it. Right. I have never seen any. <clears throat> It's not drawings. I guess it's watercolors that look quite like his with the relationship of the plant that's most for the bird. And it's not just birds. It's also, I've seen a couple of snakes and some mammals and some other things. But he was really very interested in that. It was, uh, I don't know. Did, did, we, did he get started painting birds so he could also paint the foliage that they ate or hid behind, or did he, did he, as a botanist, did he get started with the foliage and then painted the bird to go with it? As a botanist, it was the foliage that he started out with. But he's remembered for the birds, the birds. and the mammals and all that. Right. Okay. Especially the birds. Right. When you walk around Bassett Hall as Mark Catesby, do you talk about his work as, an, as a watercolorist? I do. In fact, I have a portfolio with copies of Catesby's work in. So I will use those to relate to whatever might be blooming at the time in the woods or even just talking about various things. Mm -hmm. And that's what carries the tour. So okay. I talk about why he started. In fact, when he, before arriving, he read several natural histories of North America. And he thought they were great in their descriptive parts 
but there were very few sketches and absolutely no color plates. So you were really left to use the imagination to decipher what it was you were reading about. He set out to remedy that. The birds of North America are not like the birds of Europe. Is that correct? That is true. So whatever he drew, painted, was different than most people were used to seeing. Uh, Was that his intent, or is that just the way it happened because he wanted to illustrate other things? There might have been some shock value in it, but really he wanted to show how things were in North America. And the best way to do that was to teach himself how to do watercoloring and sketching to convey his ideas. He taught himself? He taught himself. Colonel William Byrd II, who was a good friend of Catesby's, uh, had watercolor lessons, and he helped Catesby out, kind of didn't train him, but gave him pointers and things. And rather than using pure watercolor, Catesby used gouaches, which is thicker, it's more opaque, and doesn't run quite as much, well, depending on how much water you add to it. And he felt that that gave it a truer color than the translucence of the actual watercolors. So uh, do we know how many plates he published in his lifetime? There's estimates. And let's see, the two volumes of the natural history, off the top of my head, I believe each had 220 plates. And... He taught himself to etch on copper plate. Then he printed and hand-colored just about every plate for every volume sold. He had 100 subscribers for the first volume. And so that turns out to be two plates per subscriber. Right. <laughs> uh, which is kind of difficult. That, that's a lot of color work yes. for even if the subscribers were quite generous, he couldn't have made terribly much money. No. But he was a gentleman, so he wasn't really in this for the money. If he wasn't in it for the money, and I take it that he wasn't, what, I mean, was it pure scientific interest? Yes. It it was a passion that he had for nature and living things and discovering things that drove him to do what he did. This guy, unless I've missed something terribly important, was not what you would call a wealthy man. He wasn't poor. He didn't have to work for a living. Oh, really? Okay. That makes it a little little easier. Yeah, he owned farms, uh, which he inherited from his father. He had a home on Fleet Street in London. So, and he was worthy of being a member of the Royal Society. And poor people didn't get invited to join the Royal Society of Scientific (laughs) Study. Funny how that happens, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, but he had the leisure time to do what he was doing, because the entire time he was in America, the first time, he wasn't paid at all. He was just going out and losing himself in the woods. Doing what he wanted to do. Right. Second time he comes back, he goes to Charleston with um, Sir Francis Nicholson, and Nicholson actually starts paying him to study the flora and fauna of Carolina. How far did he get with that? The second trip. The second trip? um, He went... 300 miles up the Savannah River. He went down through, um, there were two Floridas at the time, East and West Florida, and then the Bahama Islands on his way back. And that's his natural history is a natural history of the Carolinas, Florida, and Bahama Islands. 
So actually, he's quite extensively traveled. Yes. Uh, so he has learned to watercolor. Now he's learned to engrave. Etch. Etch. Yes. Okay. You put a resin on the copper, carve into the resin, not onto the copper, and then pour acid onto it. Oh, okay. So the longer the acid sits, the deeper the grooves, things like that. And he found that just much more graceful. Oh, okay. When he first started, when he came over with Elizabeth and first started, did he plan a book? Or? I don't think there's any evidence of that. That was something that occurred after he got back from the second trip. So, uh, I think he was encouraged to. It might not have been his idea per se, but uh, members of the Royal Society, like Peter Collinson, Samuel Dale, they were saying you should do a natural history. That's really quite a large undertaking. It is. Yeah. Did he change the way nature was studied in that period? I think so, because he started looking at things in a symbiotic relationship, how plants and animals were reacting to each other. And an example, when he draws the bison, he doesn't just put a bison on there. He puts an acacia tree or a locust tree. And the reason being is that he saw that the bison were scratching themselves on the thorny bark of the acacia, dropping dung. The acacia seeds were taking root in the dung and growing more acacia trees. So he sees this relationship, and uh, he was trying to, um, to educate people. And it was a different way of looking at nature. He wasn't just looking at plants or animals, but the two of them together. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. Let us know what you think about the show. Submit your feedback at www.history.org slash podcasts. Check history.org often. We'll post more.